Good day, everyone. I hope you are all keeping well and safe. Um, it's Kieran Russell here, once again joined by Chris Brand from our FX Trading Desk. And today I'm really excited to also welcome our economist, Ellie Henderson, who is making her first appearance on this FX podcast series. Ellie has recently joined Investec, and we're delighted to have her as part of the wider Investec team. Exactly a year ago today, sterling dollar was trading in the 123s. Now, that's over 15 cents lower than where we are today. The move higher in cable is very much reflective of just how much the world has changed. At that time, we were just over a month into our first national lockdown. Sporting events like the Olympics and Wimbledon were all getting cancelled, and new words such as furlough and Zoom were becoming part of our regular daily vocabulary. A further two national lockdowns later, we find ourselves now in a world with no tweets from Donald Trump, a world that has moved on from Brexit headlines, and really a world that is now in a race to get jabs in people's arms as quickly as possible. The sterling strength we have seen this year has undoubtedly been helped by the vaccine rollout program in the UK, but one just needs to look at how quickly things have turned around in India for us not to get too complacent. Ellie, let me bring you in here. Um, earlier this week, your team, the Investec Economics team, um, published their date, well, their latest rather edition of the Global Economic Overview. Are you able to give us a quick summary of this, and in particular the current global outlook for 2021, in light of this fast-changing COVID picture? Yes, of course, and thank you for the warm welcome, Karen. So we have, as you said, we have just updated our global growth forecasts and we are expecting 2021 global growth to run at a strong pace of 6.2%. So this is unchanged from our previous forecast round, but we have shifted our country composition slightly beneath this. So one of the key changes that we have made was to US growth prospects, which we decided to upgrade by one percentage point from last month's forecast. So it's now sitting at a pretty strong growth of 6.9% in 2021. So this unsurprisingly reflected the huge fiscal stimulus from the Biden administration, but also the impressive vaccination campaign that's helped the US to get COVID cases under control and lift some of the restrictions. Another key upgrade was to the UK, which we boosted to 7.5%. So this is quite a punchy forecast relative to consensus. But given the relatively strong economic data released in the past few months, such as retail sales and business surveys, and an environment where COVID cases are falling and staying low, we think this is possible. But unfortunately, as Kieran mentioned, despite these upgrades, of late we have seen a bit of a diverging recovery, both in terms of economic activity and the control of COVID, which, as we all know, sort of come hand in hand. So the main concern at the moment is India. They have seen a rapid increase in cases, consistently tracking over 300,000 new infections a day, which some reports actually suggest is a gross underestimate of true cases in India. With this situation deteriorating, we felt it was appropriate to downgrade our forecast for India. We also made downgrades to Japan following the states of emergencies announced in several regions, as well as to China, which is less of a COVID impact and more based off the weaker than expected Q1 figures. So these downgrades actually offset the upgrades to the US and the UK, and that has resulted in our 6.2% growth forecast remaining unchanged. 
In terms of FX, we are still seeing vaccination rates becoming a key driver behind movements. So this can be seen particularly in the euro, which over the past month has gained on the back of a real ramp up in supply and distribution of vaccinations, with Germany even committing to opening up vaccine appointments to all adults by June. So we are in a real different place from the start of the year. Thanks, Lily. That's great. Um, now, let me bring in Chris here. Um, Chris, last night we had the FOMC announcement. Um, Fed Chair Powell managed to, to seemingly outdove the market. Uh, what were your takeaways of um, last night's FOMC? I think you're right. He kind of did outdove expectations. And uh, with it, we did see a dip in the dollar, uh, with the dollar index dropping from 90 spot 90 to 90 spot 50. Um, that correlated with sterling rising slightly to 139.80 and euro dollar to 121.50. Um, I think a lot of it was expected. We wasn't really expecting a huge amount um, from the meeting and they didn't disappoint in the lack of new information. Um, I guess the one thing they kind of did acknowledge was um, the uptick in uh, forecast really um, on the back of the positive vaccination rollout there. But they still remain cautious. They're still saying risk remain to the outlook. I mean, that was a slight change in language from considerable risks to the um, to recovery. Um, but it also saying that it remains uneven and far from complete and that they're a long way from their goals. So I think this is what caused the uh, more uh, dovish sentiment from, um, from the FOMC last night. Not any huge, huge change and not very huge from expectations, but just a slight, um, just slightly more dovish. So not the biggest reaction to the markets. Um, but yeah, I think kind of what we was expecting. Thanks, thanks, um, Chris. Yeah, so I mean, I, it certainly does seem that they all s- still singing from the, the same hymn sheet, as it were. Elias, any takeaways from your side on, on last night's FOMC? Yes, just to echo what Chris said, we did feel like it was slightly more upbeat on the economic outlook. But one of the key things that Fed that Fed Chair Powell was very keen to reiterate was that it's too early to talk about potential tapering. And we agree with this. Our own forecast suggests that the Fed will announce tapering at the end of this year. And then actually a rate hike will take place by the end of 2023. Cheers. Um, now, keeping on the on the theme of monetary policy meetings, next week we also have the Bank of England meeting. Um, I, I guess a question for both of you. Let's start off with with you, um, Chris. What, what what are your expectations? Um, what are you seeing in the market from other other um, banks in, in, on the street? Well, as you say about everyone singing from the same hymn sheet, that's the same with the Bank of England. People want to know when uh, tapering will start. And I'm not sure we're going to get an answer, to be honest. I think it will be pretty much the same as what we've seen from the Fed, very cautious um, without giving too much away. You know, I think most people believe we're too soon to taper, so I'm not sure we're going to get a huge amount of information on that front. But they need to acknowledge that the things are going well with the vaccination. The economy is opening up. They need to add this into their forecasts and uh, highlight that actually, you know, the, the, the direction of travel is to the top side as far as the economy is concerned. So, yeah, we're going to be looking now for any sort of comments that acknowledge the um, upside and uh, and look for any sternish strength on the back of them. Um, and Ellie, what are your thoughts on next week's BOE meeting? Yes, uh, like Chris, we'll be watching out for the updated forecasts, which will be included as part of the quarterly monetary policy report. 
So as said previously, our forecast for UK GDP in 2021 is 7.5. In the last report in February, the Bank of England projected growth to be more like 5%. So on the back of some of the positive data that we've already discussed today, we think it's highly likely that they will upgrade their forecast and even a partial move towards our own forecast could place some upward pressure on sterling. In terms of policy moves, like Chris, we don't think that there will be a change in the bank rate anytime soon, but we do feel like that there will be a slowdown in asset purchases from this meeting. So it's not quite the tapering that we discussed in regard to the US because the Bank of England conducts asset purchases slightly differently. So the Fed have committed to purchasing 120 billion or more of assets a month over no specified time horizon, whereas the Bank of England have actually set an overall target for assets they wish to purchase at £895 billion. So if they want to reach this target and they've suggested that they want to reach this by the end of the year, then they will actually have to start slowing down purchases or else at the current pace they will exceed this level. But if the bank does opt to slow purchases like we predict, this will be just a shift in arithmetic to meet the current target. There will be no change in policy stance, but we are concerned that markets could misinterpret this as a policy change and that could result in some movements in sterling. Okay, great. Um, then also, I think that we, we can't ignore the risks. There are still some sterling risks out there. I mean, from my side, um, I'm interested to get your thoughts, um, Chris, on on the recent developments regarding Boris and the safety of his job. I mean, we've we've seen this uh, so many so many shenanigans going on of late. Um, Dominic Cum- Cum- Cummings um, had his words to say, and the flat refurbishment. Now, what, what's what's the the word from the street on on whether you know the pound should be kind of keeping a watchful eye on on developments there? Well, this is all related to the cash for curtains scandal. Um, at the moment, it's not really filtering into the market in terms of um, any risks. But we have got um, local elections coming up. And I guess the the angle from the Labour is basically trying to get these sleaze kind of uh, sleazy Tory um, you know, aspect to stick. Um, I think the Tories wasn't worried originally about this um, because they're all very far ahead in the polls. But it does seem to be getting a bit more traction uh, as we're seeing. And we saw in Prime Minister's Questions time on Wednesday that um, Boris seems flustered, angry and somewhat on the ropes from this line of questioning. So it's definitely catching a nerve. Um, the fact that it's going to be investigated as well, um, so just that there is some something wrong there. I guess it all depends on how much the voters really see that as a big issue. But... The problem is, it's one of several things that are all coming together. Um, it's not just a one-off incident, which is a problem. And it's getting a lot of uh, headline press. And with the elections coming up, um, it could be interesting, um, especially if you've got the London mayoral elections as well. I mean, you know, it's widely expected that Sadiq Khan will um, retain his seat. But we can't ignore the fact that we have Count Binface also um, standing for the London mayor. And you know, his main policy is no shop should be allowed to sell croissants for over one pound. And for that reason, he gets my vote. <laughs> um, you did also mention the, you know, the elections. And I think let's just turn our attention to the Scottish ones, um, Ellie. It's, it seems a bit quiet on, on that front with regards um, the movement towards um, a possible uh, indie ref um what, what what are the polls saying now i mean as i said that kind of was headline news the last time we did one of these podcasts but it's been a bit quiet 
Um, is there still a risk of, of uh, an independence referendum? Yes, of course. So the polls have been moving quite a lot in recent weeks. So the latest poll by panel base is suggesting that the SNP will be the largest party, gaining 61 seats, and that leaves them just short of an outright majority, meaning an alliance with maybe the Greens is possible. But support for the SNP has tailed off in recent weeks, so it'll be interesting to see this direction of travel leading up to next Thursday's election. That being said, even with a tail off in SNP support, a pro-independence majority is looking very likely, which could put pressure on Boris Johnson to grant a second independence referendum, which, if then granted, could place downward pressure on the pound. So in terms of how a potential independence referendum would turn out, current polls are actually tracking against independence, with no's at 54% to yeses at 46% when undecideds are excluded. So this is the worst polling for yes since 2019. But as we have seen in recent years, the outcome from the polls do not always translate into the same result on election day. So we will be looking on May the 6th to see the results. Next week certainly will be interesting. Um, so just uh, before we wrap it up, I just want to get um, your thoughts, Chris, on um, on the market um, with regards to technical levels. Um, obviously, a lot of our listeners are very focused on sterling dollar and sterling euro. Are there any particular support and resistance levels worth noting? I mean, obviously, 140 on the top side for sterling dollar has been a key level. It's We've tested that several times now since February and just not been able to really sustain a breakthrough. Um, but, but anything else? No, you're right. That 140 level is coming to key levels at the top side. I think we have like around 140.17 as a high and it's been like a quadruple top. So that is certainly the level to watch. Um, I think we need to see a sustained break above 140.50 to start a new trading range. Um, but yeah, there will be um, a lot of interest through those levels. I think on a downside support around about 138 and 137 levels. Um, especially maybe 136.72 has been a, a multi-low. Um, so that seems to be um, the range and we're waiting for a breakout on that. Um, in terms of sterling euro, uh, support levels, we have the 100-day uh, moving average of 114.10, which is providing decent support so far. Top side, we need to get through really 116.50 uh, um, if we want to see a, a push higher. Thanks, Chris. So, I suppose I'm just going to end off now by putting you both on the spot. Um, we're at the end of April, just a month. Uh, um, it seems to whiz by, actually. But um, where would you think, um, and, and just a, a one, one, one or two words on this, you don't need to, to back it up, but what are your predictions on sterling dollar? Where, If I were to pin you down now, do you think the rate will be um, at the end of May? Ellie? Well, tough question, but... I would say let's go for 138 just on the back of the Indy Ref 2 fears. Chris? I favour, um, to be honest, I favour trading sideways. I'm not sure we get a huge amount of movement, but I do feel that the top side stop losses are building up above the 140 could get triggered. And so I'll go for 140.50 on a break of stop losses. That leaves me. Um, I'm going to. I'm going to go with 139, bang in the middle. So yeah, my, my my views. I think we might very well test and trade through topside 140 resistance, but I think it'll be a short-term break, and and I don't think it'll sustain. Um, and we will see a pullback. So let's wait and see. So there you have it, folks. Um, 
You have a slightly bearish economist, a slightly bullish trader, and an FX dealer that's bang in the middle, all sitting on the fence. Um, who would have thought? <laughs> on that note, that's a wrap from us all. Until next time, all the best.